Tonight we are wrapping up this study we've been doing through 2 Timothy by finishing out chapter 4. Probably feels like we've been doing it forever even though we haven't because, well, you haven't been alive forever and we just started last summer and we took a big break in the middle. So it's, it's like we haven't even been doing it at all, but we're, we're going to finish it tonight. And so Paul wraps up this letter tonight in chapter 4. Um, and turn with me to verse 9, that's where we'll start tonight. Um, but he wraps this letter up like he does with most letters. Um, I, th- I, always, I always think of it like, like when your grandma calls you and you're like trying to get off the phone. And she's like, oh, well, is, is your sister there? Yeah, grandma, my sister. Well, well, tell her I said hi. Okay, grandma, I will. Did she say hi back? And then you actually have to do it so you can like <laughs> figure out if she says hi back. So Paul takes this stretch of time here and talks a little bit about where he is and who he's with and all the people he wants to say hello to, um, although he's, he doesn't drag on as long as your grandma probably does. Um, but we have a big chunk of verses to get through here tonight, but we're not actually going to be digging through all of them, so don't, don't worry too much. Um, just out of curiosity, how many of you were here when I went through the book of Colossians a couple of years ago? A few of you? Okay, well, you remember how many weeks it took me to get through this ending stuff? I, I, I talked a lot about each and every person he brought up. Like, we, we went week by week, and it was great. I'm not going to do that to you this time. We're just going to read through verses 9 to 22, but tonight we're really just going to focus on verses 18, or 16 to 18, which will give us a decent way to end this letter and end this study we've been doing. So let's read 2 Timothy 4, verses 9 through 22. Um, bear with me as I get through this. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. And Tychicus have I sent to Ephesus. The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee in the books, but especially the parchments. He left his coat somewhere. Uh, somebody, left, somebody left their coat at my house um, when we had prayer night, and so... I got, I got letters like this in the mail, too. Verse 14. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Of whom be thou ware also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. Verse 16. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray, God, that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work, and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And I always think of it like amen as he's ending the letter, but he goes on. It's like the P.S. Verse 19, Salute Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Anesiphorus. Erastus abode at Corinth, but Trophimus have I left at Miletum sick. Do thy diligence to come before winter, Eubulus greet thee, and Pudens, and Linus, and Claudia, and all the brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ be with thy spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. The second epistle unto Timotheus, ordained the first bishop of the church of Ephesus, has, or was written from Rome when Paul was brought before Nero the second time. So there you have it. He says goodbye. And there's a lot of names in there, and there's a lot of hellos, and there's a lot of left my coat. But there in the middle, in verses 16 to 18, you can see what we're really homing in on tonight as we wrap up this study of 2 Timothy. Um, you see Paul refer to what he's been through. He refers to what God did for him. 
and what he knows God is going to do for him in the future. And you see this reference to this thing he calls his first answer, and that's just pointing at the fact that he's already had to stand trial for once, or, or one time, and he'll have to stand trial a second time. He knows he's about to stand trial for his faith the second time, because in Rome it wasn't, it wasn't legal to be a Christian in the Roman Empire, and so we'll talk about that. But you can see that at the end of verse 22, um, at the very end with the closing remarks of, of the book. It says, when Paul was brought before Nero the second time. And so as we dig into these verses, we're going to see who Paul was really reliant on as he endured trials in his life. Literal trials for his faith, like with a judge and with a courtroom full of people. And from that, we'll, we'll see that we can rely on the same thing that kept Paul strong. So let's pray, and we can dig into verses 16 through 18. God, I thank you so much for your word, and I thank you so much for this book. And uh, man, just all the, all the practical things that you've put in the book of 2 Timothy for us to just live by and to learn how to be ministers with. And so I pray that as we finish this book, Lord, um, we'll, we'll just remember some of the things we've learned over the last, gosh, nine months now, um, and just uh, remind us of those things and help keep us strong and help enable us for ministry like only you can. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so first, to see what Paul ended up relying on, we, we first have to see what he couldn't rely on with point number one, the failure of fellows. And that's what we see in verse 16. Um, and verse 16 again says, At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray, God, that it may not be laid to their charge. And so here Paul is just saying that at his first answer, he was all alone. And like I mentioned in the intro, his first answer is just a reference to the Roman legal system at the time. Because it was illegal to be a Christian at the time, and Nero was particularly bad about persecuting and killing Christians. So when someone was thought to be a Christian, they would be brought to court three times, and they'd be given three chances to reject Christ. And it wasn't really a trial, and it wasn't really a courtroom. It was just an opportunity for the Roman government to get Christians to reject the Lord in a public forum so that other people could see. That was the entire goal, to get Christians to renounce their faith and accept Caesar as their Lord. And Christians who refused to do that three times, well, they were typically thrown to lions, which isn't the nicest way to go, um, I imagine. Uh, I've never been thrown to lions, but if I were picking, I'd pick something else. Um, but if the Christian who 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 refused to renounce their faith was a Roman citizen. They normally weren't thrown to lions unless they wanted to be. They could, they could have their sentence reduced to something like a beheading um, instead of being thrown to lions, which you're still dead, but you're dead a lot quicker and a lot less painfully. And so Paul was a Roman citizen, which is why he mentions being delivered from the mouth of the lion in verse 17. But Paul wasn't about to renounce his faith in Christ either. So even though this first trial isn't really recorded for us anywhere in Scripture, we can, we can know the results because he was about to face trial for the second time. So obviously he didn't relent. He didn't reject Christ in, in any public way. And he even mentions in verse 17 that, that he preached. And so at his first answer, he, he preached. So instead of giving the Roman government what they wanted, he used this public forum of his trial to preach the gospel publicly. Instead of giving them the public renouncement they were looking for, he stood firm and publicly declared his devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ and, and to the gospel. But no man stood with him. He was alone. He had no one there to support him or endure that trial with him. Everyone forsook him, meaning they left him to face his fate on his own. You even see him mention one of these guys that forsook him by name in verse 10. This guy named Demas. 
It says, Demas forsook me. Demas would have been a companion of Paul at one point, and you can see that if you look at the closing statements in Colossians 4. Uh, verse 14 says, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. So this guy would have been with Paul at, at one point in his ministry, and you can see that Paul ca- what called you can see what Paul calls Demas during the closing statements of Philemon. In verse 24, it says, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. So this guy Demas was a fellow laborer. That's what Paul calls him. But he didn't stay a fellow laborer forever because at some point before he wrote 2 Timothy, Paul didn't have Demas with him as a fellow laborer anymore because Demas loved the present world too much and he left Paul because of that. So when Paul faced these trials, he had to face them without Demas, and that's the most obvious example in Scripture of someone who forsook Paul because he's right here. Um, But Paul was alone. But he wasn't just alone because guys like Demas forsook him for other things. Some of the other guys who were with Paul in the past, they just had their own ministry elsewhere. And that ministry prevented them from being able to endure the trials with him. Guys like Titus that you see mentioned in verse 10. Titus traveled with Paul early in his ministry, but he was eventually given his own ministry in Crete. He was the pastor of the church there, and you can see that in the closing remarks of Titus chapter 3. In verse 15, it says, All that are with me salute thee. Greet them that love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. It is written to Titus, ordained the first bishop of the church of the Cretans from Nicopolis of Macedonia. So, Titus was the first bishop of the Church of the Cretans, and Titus apparently moved on to Dalmatia at some point after that. That ministry kept him busy, and it kept him unable to be with Paul during his trials. And you have a similar situation with this guy Tychicus, who was mentioned in verse 12. If you were here a couple years ago, I had a whole message called Be Like Tychicus. Um, And I said it slow like that on purpose. Paul sent him to Ephesus, so he couldn't obviously be there either. So Paul had these ministry helpers, but he gave them jobs to do, and that kept them from being with him during these trials. And so the point is, whether it's because of people forsaking you or because they're busy with other ministries, sometimes you're going to feel alone in your walk with the Lord. Sometimes you'll be alone in your walk with the Lord. We've been talking a lot the past month about having to endure perilous times, but sometimes that means having to endure perilous times when it's just you and the Lord you're not always going to have others to rely on. Serving the Lord with your life is hard work, and other people, both lost and saved, won't always appreciate when you do that. Um, I think about what David said in Psalm 31, verses 11 through 13, when he says, I was a reproach among all mine enemies, but especially among my neighbors, and a fear to mine acquaintance, that that they did see me without fled from me. They that did see me without fled from me. I am forgotten as a dead man out of my mind. I am like a broken vessel. For I have heard the slander of many. Fear was on every side while they took counsel together against me and they devised to take away my life. A true servant of the Lord will end up pushing some people away. Even people who were close to you at one point, they may not stay close to you forever. And that's, that's a sad reality. But it's a reality that even Jesus had to face in his darkest moments. Because even his closest disciples forsook him for a little bit when he was taken away to be crucified. Mark 14 verse 50 says, And they all forsook him and fled. So Paul understood a little bit about what Jesus went through when he had to give his first answer all by himself. Sometimes you're going to be alone too. So will you be ready to give your answer even then? Because remember what 1 Peter 3.15 says. We've been hitting on this verse pretty regularly the last couple weeks. It says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, 
and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So, will you always be ready to give your answer? And will you always meet that opportunity the way Paul did by preaching the gospel, no matter whether or not other people are standing behind you? Even when it seems like everyone else has forsaken you, are you going to give your answer? But here's the other part. Even though there were men who forsook Paul and left him to face his fate alone, he asked God to not lay that at their charge. And that's indication of forgiveness. He didn't want to blame them for not being there. And this, is forgive, this type of forgiveness is something that Paul learned from Jesus because Jesus said something very similar about the people who were actively killing him on the cross. While he's hanging on the cross, he says in Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. Man, can you imagine a more pure forgiveness? Stephen forgave like this in Acts 7 as well. While he was being stoned by the people he was preaching to, Acts 7, verse 60 says, And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And falling asleep is dying. And he gave up the ghost and went home to be with the Lord. But while he was being stoned, he said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Paul forgave the men who forsook him the same way. He didn't want God to put a charge on them because of that. So like Paul, we need to be ready to face our trials alone if necessary. We can't completely rely on other people to be there for us because other people are humans and, and they can fail just as easily as, as we can. That's why this first point is the failure of fellows. But when they do fail us, we, like Jesus and Stephen and Paul, we just need to be ready to forgive them. Because the only way we're going to be prepared for that is if we can learn to truly rely on what Paul learned to rely on, and that's what we see in point number two, the foundation of fortitude, which sounds like the fortress of solitude, but, but we see it in verse 17. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, and by me the preaching might be fully known, that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. So even though no one else was there, the Lord stood with Paul. And we can see some things about the Lord in this verse. And if we keep these things in mind about the Lord when things get rough for us, we can learn to rely on him, even when we have no one else to rely on. And so there's a list on your sheet of bullet points of things about the Lord we see in this verse. And the first one is that the Lord never leaves. Um, he says, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me. So even when everybody else left, the Lord didn't. And the beautiful truth is that if you're a child of the Lord, he'll never leave you. It's, it's really that simple. Hebrews 13.5 tells us that. It says, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have, for he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And this is something that Jesus knew and preached as well. Um, you can see uh, Jesus understand this in, in John 16, verse 32. He says, Behold, the hour cometh, yea, and now is now come that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone, and, and yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. So even, even when his disciples forsook him, well, Jesus knew that the Father was with him. So even in your darkest, most lonely moments, you belong to the Lord and he belongs to you. He's always going to be with you because he left his Holy Spirit living inside of you and he'll never take that away from you. You're his and he'll always be with you. No matter what you're doing and who else is with you, if, if you've given your life to the Lord, he's given his life to you. He's right there loving you and wanting to help you get through things in a way that glorifies him. And if you can keep that in mind, 
you never have to feel alone again. If you feel like no one's talking to you, open his book and hear from him. If you feel like no one's hearing you, well, get on your knees and talk to him. People come and go. People let us down. But the Lord is always here, and he'll never, he'll never let you down. But he doesn't just promise to be with us. He also strengthens us, and that's your next bullet point. The Lord strengthens. Paul recognized that his strength to get through these trials was coming from the Lord. And that's because as, as human beings, imperfect, sinful human beings, we have no real strength of our own. I don't care how many times you go to the gym, Jarrett. We got no real strength of our own. We're imperfect beings and we have our sin nature to contend with, but God offers us strength to endure trials and tribulations that we just couldn't find without him. I mean, look at what he tells the nation of Israel in Isaiah 41, uh, verses 10 through 14. says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Behold, all they that were incensed against thee shall be ashamed and confounded. They shall be as nothing. And they that strive with thee shall perish. Thou shalt seek them and shalt not find them. Even them that contend with thee, they that war against thee shall be as nothing and as a thing of naught. For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. Fear not, thou worm, Jacob, and ye men of Israel. I will help thee, saith the Lord, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. And now, there's a very specific timing of, of when God will deal with our enemies, but the fact is, God's, God offers the same strength and help to us, and we can see that in Philippians 4.13, when, he says, when Paul says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Because Christ enables us to do what we need to do, making him the source of our strength. So we have no strength of our own, and that actually allows us to bring even more glory to the Lord. Because when we do something or endure something that we just couldn't do on our own, both we and the people who see it can know that God's the one providing the strength to overcome. 2 Corinthians 12.9 says, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So man, you want to see the power of the Lord in your life? Realize that you're more likely to see that when you're enduring something difficult than when you're enjoying something easy. God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. So the next time you just feel unable to handle something or unable to bear the burdens that are set on top of you, just remember that's by design. We need to turn to the Lord to give us strength, not try to handle things on our own. And if we remember that he's always with us, well, it's that much easier to look to him for strength. But look at what else the Lord did for Paul. The next thing on your sheet is the Lord enables preaching. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago when we talked about our duty in the last days, but Paul used his trials as a platform for which, from which he could preach the gospel. He didn't get defensive and try to protect his own life. He preached the gospel. And, and remember weeks ago when we talked about having sufficiency in the last days? Well, God gives us what we need to preach his words to the people who need to hear them. Look at what he says in Luke 21, uh, verse 15. He says, For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. So he'll give us the mouth and the wisdom that we need. And he does that through his word. Romans 16 tells us that. In Romans 16, 25 and 26, it says, Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel 
and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest, and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting God made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. So the power to establish you according to the gospel and and the thing that powers you to preach Jesus Christ is the revelation of the mystery. It's the scriptures. It's the commandment of the Lord. It's, It's his word. We covered this a few weeks ago. God gives us his words so that we can speak them and live by them. And that's really all we need to be able to preach. You don't have to be anything special to preach. Look at what Paul says about himself in Ephesians 3, verse 8. He says, Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So it doesn't matter who you are or what you know. And I know we talked about that a few weeks ago, but it it bears repeating. You can preach the word to people who need to hear it. Sure, you should strive to be more and more like Christ, and you should strive to know more and more of his word, but you can preach what you know. That's the duty we all have that we talked about a couple weeks ago, and that's important because we have to understand that sometimes God allows us to endure trials and tribulations so we have opportunities to preach that we otherwise might not have. Paul understood this if we read what he says in Philippians chapter 1, Um, Starting in verse 12, he says, But I would that you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul was in prisons. He was in bonds. He was in chains. But he understood that his trials and imprisonment happened so he could preach the gospel. And he understood that because he endured those things and preached, well, there's other people who who see that and become more bold in their own preaching. So God never leaves us. He gives us the strength we need to endure, and he gives us what we need to preach when the opportunity arises. But but Paul also recognized that the Lord delivers, and that's the the next thing on your sheet. Because Paul was delivered from the mouth of that lion. He was saved from that awful fate by being torn apart, by claws and teeth and whatever else lions have. We need to recognize that we are delivered from some things too. And so I got some verses on your sheet that just have to do with us being delivered from things. And first and foremost, we're delivered from our fate of spending eternity in hell. First Thessalonians 1 verse 10 says, And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. So Jesus delivered us from the wrath to come. He paid for our sins to deliver us from having to spend forever separated from him in torment. We're also delivered from our adversary. In 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. And so Satan is after us like a lion. And just like Paul was delivered from the mouth of the lion, well, so are we. Because he wants to devour us and he's certainly more powerful than us, but God won't let him. We're delivered and protected from that as long as we stay sober and vigilant. We're also able to be delivered from our temptations. 2 Peter 2 verse 9 says, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation, out of temptations, and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. So if you find yourself struggling with temptations of different kinds, well, maybe turn to the one who knows how to deliver you from that, because he's far more powerful than anything that can tempt us, and he's much better able to enable you to resist that temptation and escape it than than you are on your own. 
Colossians 1.13 says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Man, darkness, sin is powerful. But you can be delivered from the power of that darkness if you just trust in the Lord's power for you to overcome that. We have to rely on the Lord and let him to do that for us. We can't expect to fight sin on our own. But we can also be delivered from persecution when the Lord sees fit to deliver us. Paul was certainly delivered from persecutions and afflictions, though he had to endure others. Um, but we saw that back in 2 Timothy chapter 3, in verse 11, when he says, Persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. And so the Lord can certainly deliver you from persecutions and afflictions because the Lord is more powerful than anything that can ever try to hold us. So we just need to learn to lean on him for deliverance. And we need to trust, and we need to trust that when it doesn't seem like he's delivering us, well, chances are good he's got some greater purpose for us in mind that we aren't aware of yet. Paul trusted in the Lord. Paul knew that the Lord was always with him. Paul knew that the Lord was his source of strength, and he, he knew that the Lord was the one enabling him to preach, and he knew that the Lord could deliver him from anything that he saw fit to. We learn to have the same reliance on the Lord that Paul had, and, and, and if we can learn that, well, even when other people let us down, we can trust that God won't, and we can trust that God's going to come through for us according to his will. And Paul saw the Lord do that in his life, and that's what, that's what this verse is all about. He's remembering the things that the Lord has done for him and, and the way that the Lord has shown himself faithful in his life. So by the time he writes this letter to Timothy, we also see Paul trusting in the Lord to continue doing the same thing in the future. And that brings us to point number three, faith in the future. And yes, ladies, I know that's Louis Tomlinson's newest album, but I needed two F-words um, to, to get the flow to go. Um, so... Verse 18 is where we see Paul's faith in the future. Um, and he says, And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So Paul recognized what the Lord had done in his life up, up to where he was now. But here he's applying that understanding to his future. He's using his past experience to bolster his faith in the future. He's looking at what God has already done for him and understanding that God's going to continue to do those things for him as he moves forward. He's trusting that the Lord will continue him to deliver or to continue to deliver him from every evil work and that's something that we can trust the Lord for as well. Because God promises us to that he's going to deliver us from the evil that we might do. Um, in, in, in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 he says there there hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. So God provides an avenue for deliverance when you find yourself being tempted to do evil. But he also promises us that he's going to deliver us, or that he can deliver us from the evil that others might do in 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 2 through 3. It says, And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and, and wicked men, for all men have not faith, but the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from this evil. So we can have faith that God can deliver us from evil, but we also don't have a guarantee that he's definitely going to keep us from enduring that evil in all cases. But we can rest assured that when he does allow us to endure evil, he intends it for something good. After Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery, he spent years living in Egypt as a slave and he was in prison, but 
It ended up being a good thing. And look at what Joseph says to his brothers in Genesis 50, verse 20. He says, but as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring, pass, to, bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. God allowed Joseph to endure that evil so God could use Joseph's life to make a difference. And that's an encouragement that we can lean on as well. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. So we can trust that God will use our lives for his good if we allow him to. Even when we choose, or even when he chooses to not deliver us from evil or from afflictions or from persecutions or for whatever, from whatever it might be, well, we can trust that he'll, he'll never allow us to suffer needlessly. Paul had that faith in his future because of what he had already seen the Lord do in his life, because he had seen his persecutions and afflictions be used by the Lord to spread the gospel. And so he knew that moving forward, well, that's just what God does. And we can know that too. That's why he was able to confidently work towards finishing strong. Um, if you remember from, it might have been last week or the week before, uh, for, for I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And so you keep faith. You keep the faith that God is going to use your life. You use that faith to drive you to continue following him and how he's leading you. You use that faith to commit to finishing strong like Paul. 1 Thessalonians 5 encourages us to keep following the Lord and allowing him to keep us blameless. And 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that just means we need to follow how the Lord is leading us in our lives. We need to follow his sanctification. And we have to allow him to be the one who's keeping us blameless because that's not something we can do on our own. God is the only one who can do that. And if we can move forward understanding that, well, he can get a hold of our lives and make them into what he wants. Jude 1.24 says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. So we just need to examine ourselves to see the things that God has done for us and use those experiences that God's given you to bolster our faith in him so we can face whatever the future holds for each and every one of us. Maybe you don't know what the Lord has done for you. Maybe he hasn't yet had to bring you through any major trial or anything like that. Well, did he save you? Because if he did, then your eternal existence has been delivered from torment and separation to complete harmony with him. That's the largest deliverance any of us could possibly experience, and he just gives that to us for free when we accept his payment for our sins. So even if you don't have anything else to point to in your life of something the Lord has done for you, well, you have that. And that's the single greatest deliverance any of us could ever imagine. So if that's all you have that you can point to, just start paying attention to how the Lord delivers you in big ways, in small ways. Write those things down. Remember those things when when things get difficult down the road. Let God use those memories to give you the faith you need to face trials in the future. And keep letting his word get inside of you because man, his word will give you the peace that passes understanding. But our perilous times aren't gonna last forever. Like we talked about last week, the finish line is coming and all we have to do is trust the Lord to take care of us until we get there. Because when we get there, we'll find rest from all the evils of this world. Um, we've been looking at 2 Thessalonians 1.7 a lot the last couple weeks. And again, it says, And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. 
So like Paul, finish strong. Look back at the course you've been running and see how the Lord has come through for you. Then look forward to the future, trusting that he's going to continue coming through for you, even if you can't see the end, of the, the end of the race yet. And just keep doing that until you get to the finish line. And that's how Paul wraps up this letter to Timothy. He'll go on to be tried for his faith again, and he'll, again, he'll use those opportunities to preach the gospel by speaking scripture and giving his personal testimony of what the Lord did for him. Paul had a crazy life. He had to endure all kinds of difficulties and all kinds of persecutions, but he stands out as an example of a life committed to following the Lord wherever he led. And Timothy stands out as just one example of the fruit that that kind of life can produce. So even when he was all alone, Paul knew the Lord was with him. He knew he could trust the Lord to take care of him when it seemed like everything else was against him. So even though Paul's ministry would end when his life was taken from him, well, his ministry actually continued and it actually endured through the people that he invested so much in. Guys like Timothy and Titus, who, who continued investing into others what Paul had invested into them. That's the legacy that Paul left behind because he had the faith to finish strong. And that legacy continues to this day. So what kind of legacy do you want to leave behind? Because my prayer is that each of us is, is wanting a legacy that's just committed to following the Lord and committed to following him wherever he leads us through his word. Because he has a plan for every single one of us. You might not know what that plan is, but if you seek him, he'll lead you. And if you let him get a hold of your life, he will. And if you just commit to serving the Lord with your life, who knows what God can accomplish. Let's pray. God, I thank you again for this book and for this letter that, um, man, just stands as, as an encouragement and motivation for us to just see our lives as, as a race that we're running for you. And so I pray, Lord, as we see the things that you've done for us, that, um, man, we would pay attention and, and see the ways that you've come through for us and see how you've been faithful for us so that we can use that to, to continue to trust you to be faithful. Because the more and more we trust you, man, the more and more you can use us. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd give us the faith we need to, to just live the way you want us to live and to, to follow the path that you want us to follow. Because you've got things you want us to do. And so, Lord, I pray that, I th- pray that we'd be about that. And I pray um, as we wrap up this series, um, we would just be in remembrance of the things that, that we've looked at over the last several months and, um, and just be reminded of the need to just daily devote ourselves to you and get on our knees and pray and allow your word to get in our lives and just commit to being more and more like, like, like Jesus every single day so that you can use us. In your name we pray, amen.